0: guys what the heck is up um yeah audio if you notice at all you might not even notice um it sounds a little a little funky because i'm actually in my mom's basement with no microphone like the good old days um we're in our hometown for matthew's graduation party and i was gonna record yesterday and then just some things came up um and so i packed up my laptop packed up my phone and we headed to my mom's and now we're here and i'm recording on my phone <laughs> yeah it's way early in the morning it's almost eight on saturday morning um now that i i get up every day at five thirty to go to work. My body thinks that it's okay to wake up at seven AM on weekends. It sucks a lot. I'm I'm not gonna lie to you. Also, my little brother's dog, Georgia, she's obsessed with me. Um, and she keeps running down here I'm in the basement. I don't know if I've already said that. She keeps running down here to like come attack me with licks. Um, and I think she's coming right now but if you hear a dog running around that's that's what it is she's staring at me from the top of the stairs I'm so scared right now <laughs> but um, I'm not crocheting today because I suck and I forgot to bring <laughs> a project to crochet I was going to crochet those shorts that I'm making with my stepmom because I need to finish them before I go visit her in two weeks but i forgot them so you know what it's it's fine it's, we're here okay we're here um and today i'm actually not going to tell you who we're talking about until we get to the point where i can tell you who we're talking about i need my morning voice to, to stop doing that okay hold on Um, I'm gonna take a drink of coffee, and you're going to grab a snack, grab a drink, and grab a project, and we'll get into this, okay? Okay, here, here we go. Ready? I'm so excited, guys. This one is 13 pages long, so it's gonna be, it's gonna take us a minute. On February 1st of 2012, 18-year-old Samantha Koenig from Anchorage, Alaska was headed to a routine night shift at a local coffee shack. This coffee shack was called Common Ground. Love that. That's amazing. Um, and Samantha was scheduled to work until around eight p.m. Samantha had worked at this coffee shop for quite a while and was super. Re- oh my gosh, we're already stuttering. Stuttering. I can't even say stuttering right. Was a super reliable employee. When eight o'clock rolled around and her boyfriend headed, her boyfriend headed from his job to the parking lot that the coffee shop was coffee shack was in to pick her up and take her home. When he arrived, though she was not there and the coffee shack looked as though it had been shut down correctly so she wasn't he wasn't immediately suspicious and ended up going to her home where he realized she also was not at this caused both samantha's dad and boyfriend to become somewhat afraid when all of a sudden samantha sent a text message to her boyfriend that said something along the lines of um i've been tired of things and i'm going away for a while Although this is normal in many relationships, it was not normal for Samantha, and they knew that. So, Samantha didn't have a car, and she was too reliable of an employee to just take off for a while. Her relationship with her dad was totally fine, and her relationship with her boyfriend was totally fine, so she had no reason to run away, and on top of all this, the text that she sent was obviously not written how she would normally send her texts. Um both her father and her boyfriend went to authorities to report her missing and the very next morning police contacted the owner of common grounds to ask for security camera footage since those were her last known whereabouts the owner thankfully gladly handed over the footage which revealed that something terrible had in fact happened around 8 p.m that night a car pulled up to the window as samantha was closing down the shack And Samantha seems totally normal in the footage, like, just making the customer their coffee and chatting with them, as she does, you know, with any other customer. Um, And then, as she goes to hand the coffee through the window at the customer, she's seen throwing her hands in the air as if there's a gun pointed to her. Um, She seems to be instructed to walk to the back of the shack and turn the lights off, and after she does this, the person then jumps through the window into the shack, um, and at first Samantha looks like she was treating this as a robbery. Uh she talks to or she walks to where the money is, located in like the cash cash register, but the intruder only wanted her. So the intruder took Amanda. Amanda <laughs> Who's Amanda? The intruder took Samantha with him and then later returned and grabbed her phone wallet and other belongings that she had with her in the shack. Then her bank card was used at a nearby ATM, but that was about it. They had no other leads, no tips, no idea who the abductor could be. Investigators started with the family, which is what they always do, but very quickly they realized that the family was completely innocent, as well as all of her friends. Um, with nowhere else to turn, they went to surrounding businesses and asked if they had any footage from the night that Samantha was abducted from the shack and This led them to the footage that showed Samantha and a man walking out of the shack and into a white pickup truck. They were able to figure out what the make and model of the truck was and find out everyone who owned that trunk and trunk truck <laughs> oh my gosh, owned that truck in the anchorage area. Obviously, this gave them thousands of results, so they decided to bring in the FBI because at this point, they felt as if it was out of their ability as local authorities. So, three weeks after Samantha had been taken and Hope was dwindling out, Samantha's boyfriend received yet another text message from Samantha's phone. It said, Connor Park sign, under the pick of Albert, ain't she purty? So, Connor's, or Connor Park was just a little bit outside of the city of Anchorage, um, and her family rushed to the location where they found a picture of a lost dog named Albert. Un- Sorry, George is walking around and it's making noise. Underneath the photo of Albert, there was a plastic bag that contained a picture of Samantha that was clearly blurry, um, and the newspaper, and newspaper was held near her. And it said February 15th, which gave them hope that she was okay, since she was abducted on February 1st. Thankfully, her family didn't just open the photo by themselves. They called authorities before touching the bag and getting DNA all over it, um, which is smart. So when the photo was found, they called in her dad to identify that the person in the photo was indeed Samantha. Um, And he, he said, yeah, you know, it does look like Samantha, from what I can tell. Um, but it looks like her hair is done up in a way that she wouldn't normally do it. She only wears it straight down or just like up in a ponytail. She doesn't really do anything crazy to it. Um, there was also a ransom note in this plastic bag that read, I want $30,000 deposited into Samantha's bank account immediately. Um, which the FBI saw that as a great thing because the only way that this person would be able to access the money would be to go to an ATM so they possibly could see that person. Um, just to see what would happen. They put 5000 into the account, which I don't know. Why wouldn't you just put, like, 500 That's, like, all you can d- d- take out of an ATM at one time anyways. Sometimes even 200 I don't know. I'm not part of the FBI. Yet. Um... Shortly after they put the money in her account, it was accessed, but they missed him by just a few minutes. Thankfully, though, they could look at sec- uh, surveillance footage, and after they did look at the footage, they realized that the person was wearing a mask and gloves and could not be identified at all. Yay! Um, nothing came from this case until March 7th, which this is so unimportant, but you know me, I'm the worst. Uh, March 7th is Matthew and I's anniversary. Tee <laughs> Nobody cares. Um, but on March 7th, her card was used in Wilcox, Arizona. Just to remind you, we're in Anchorage, Alaska. Yeah. Obviously, this was extremely alarming. And authorities started to send out alerts all over the place to let people know that they needed to keep an eye out. Uh, luckily, the surveillance footage in Arizona was better, and you could see a white Ford Focus in the background. So now they had not only a white truck but a white Ford Focus. At this point, though, um, everyone thought that um, Samantha was alive because the photo <clears throat> excuse me because the photo had a newspaper saying February fifteenth, and the abductor had asked for a ransom. And by the way, he was fleeing, it seemed as if he was trying to relocate them because everyone thought she was still alive. Her photo information were sent to the Arizona police, as well as New Mexico and Texas, where her card was used later. Um, And authorities thought ahead and lined up along the highways at banks that they knew the abductor would hit since it was clear he was following a very specific route. And on March 13th, the Ford Focus was spotted. The car was parked at a local motel in Texas, and a trooper waited for the driver to get into the car and make a traffic violation, so he had means to pull him over. You know, if if I thought that someone had abducted someone, I don't think that I would um wait for them to make a traffic violation. I would just pull him over and be like, hey, I, th- I think you abducted someone. I know I wouldn't say that, but like I've been pulled over for no reason before so why can't you pull them over for no reason um yeah i lost my spot telling that story about me and being narcissistic um oh yeah when he when the trooper pulled him over he noticed that the guy in the car seemed like a super regular dude and he asked for his um id as one does and when the trooper was handed an alaskan id the hairs on his neck raised. This man in the car was get ready, get ready, get ready. Thirty-four-year-old Israel Keys. Boom. Was that good? Did I hook line and sinker, y'all? I think that's the best introduction I've ever done. I should do all of them like that. Okay, let's keep let's keep going. So, police took Keys into. police looked into key's criminal record to figure out why he would want to kidnap samantha but they couldn't find anything alarming besides a dui from a few years ago like right after he got out of the army he was depressed he was drinking and driving um he seemed like a regular schmegler dude so then the trooper searched his car and in his car there was samantha's cell phone samantha's card some of her personal belongings and a .22 caliber gun so, he was arrested on the spot and brought into Texas Jail, and the authorities in Anchorage were running scenarios through their heads trying to figure out what exactly they had on their hands. One of these scenarios was the idea that maybe he had just stolen the car from the person who actually kidnapped Samantha. You know, he couldn't have done this. He's just too regular. He didn't know the details of her case. It just, he was just too normal. So, with this thought in mind, they decided to go look at his house in Anchorage. And when they arrived at his home, the first thing they spotted was a white truck. The same white truck in the surveillance footage from the night Samantha was abducted, and at this point, the authorities had enough evidence to bring him back to Alaska. And when he returned from Texas, he started to spill everything that had gone down. He straight up admitted to killing Samantha immediately, but he told them he wouldn't tell them how unless he had a Snickers, a Starbucks Americano, and a very specific type of cigar um they obviously got him those things as they do with most criminals that they want information out of and as soon as his requests were fulfilled he told them all about the murder he said he had done it by chance he just came across the common ground stand where he decided it was the perfect place to abduct someone he chose this place simply because it was open and nothing else was and his sick need of kidnapping and killing someone was just too strong he said he walked up ordered a coffee And then pointed a gun at samantha asking her to turn the lights off which the surveillance video shows Um, he then jumped through the window and told her that if she complied he would let her go but if she fought him he would kill her Uh, this explains why she did everything he told her to and did not fight back because she thought she was gonna live so after this he put her into his truck and drove her to his house where his girlfriend and 10 year old daughter lived yeah outside of their home keys had a small shed that his daughter and girlfriend knew not to touch or mess with and this is where he put samantha just a sidebar guys if your brother son partner child whatever has a small shed that you are not allowed to go into call the cops call the cops you know maybe don't actually they might be making you like a nice gift or cracking a secret cure to cancer i don't know dude call the cops Call the cops. There is never a point in your life where you and someone else should be sharing a living space together and you're not allowed to go into one room. It's spooky. It's. (sighs) Because then stuff like this happens, dude. And then the person's like, I never knew they did that. No, you did. They had a locked door, dude, that you weren't allowed to go into. You did know. Call the cops. Anyways, he put Samantha in the shed and tied her up as well as turned on the radio up all the way so nobody could hear her screaming and then he sexually assaulted her and then he left which is when he comes back to the coffee shop to grab the rest of her stuff and at some point he also got her pin number out of her because he pulled money from her account through an ATM during all of this. And she's still under the impression that she's going to live, so she obeys everything he's saying. But after returning from the coffee shop, he strangled and stabbed her to death in the shed. And then he put her into a box in the shed and then went into his house, packed a suitcase, and flew to Louisiana with all of his family. They all boarded a cruise ship and they were out for sea for two freaking weeks, dude. He spent the entire time on vacation with his family. While there's a dead body in his shed from a murder he just committed not even twenty four hours ago Ugh, I freaking hate it it's so nasty, so this is all word of his mouth too by the way, everything we know came directly from him like he he is sitting in that interrogation room spewing this, and I'm typing it so just just know that um due to the ease of him telling the story with the cops were like this dude is definitely not a first time murderer like he just seems too cool calm and collected he seems like he knows what he's doing um that or we've got a real wild one on our hands right now so this next part that i'm about to read is yucky but it's important plus all of this is yucky just just bear with me okay here we go when Israel got back from his stupid little cruise should have jumped overboard um, he realized that due to the temperatures in Alaska Samantha's body had frozen. He knew it would be hard to dispose of her body if it was frozen so he found a way to thaw out her body and then he took his girlfriend's makeup he took his girlfriend's makeup and tried to make Samantha look more alive and then he did her hair how she thought he thought she would wear it He put it in a braid, and then after this, he posed her with a newspaper from February 15th, and he purposely made the video or the photo fuzzy, and then he took it and taped it under Albert's photo, and this explains why her father knew that her hair was worn differently, and it's just so creepy that she was literally dead the entire time, and they were looking at that photo and being like, oh my god, yeah, she's still alive. Like, she looks alive. It's February 15th. She's alive. She's alive she was not so after this photo was taken he dismembered samantha and he took three different trips to a lake about 30 miles away he chose that lake because of how deep it was and because of the fact that it was an ice fishing lake um he had a job like right after he got out of the army that had to do with um knowing bodies of water Why do serial killers always have jobs that, like, help them out with their killings? Like, the BTK, he had that dog-catching job, so he could, like, scope out houses, and then... I don't know. Sorry, I'm moving. You're gonna hear it. I'm an old lady. I can't sit one certain way. Okay. Um, But, like, he had a job knowing which lakes were the deepest, which lakes would stay frozen which rivers went to which open body of water like why do they have to know that <laughs> um but yeah he chose this lake because of how deep it was and because of the fact that it was an ice fishing lake and he went out there he drilled a hole and he slowly put pieces of her body into that hole George is coming i can hear her running <laughs> um so he even told authorities that he occasionally caught fish with her body and then he took those fish home and cooked them and fed them to his daughter and girlfriend. Chilling, okay? I haven't said that in a minute, but chilling. Like, gag, sick, get help, chilling. Um, so obviously there's no way that someone could commit a murder this extreme, leave for vacation, come back to a frozen body and do what he did, then recite the entire thing to police without showing any remorse and not have been a previous killer. During interrogation... He talked about how no one really knew him because he was two different people. He says that the people around him knew a different part of him. But he has been two different people for 14 years and no one alive has ever met the other him. He said that he had been two different people for 14 years, which made police think that he was killing for 14 years, which meant that they had a lot of bodies to find. Um, Israel, some people say Israel... Israel, 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 I don't know, Israel began informing the authorities of the ways that he killed his victims but never who they were, when it happened, or where the bodies were. So through looking at his bank records, cards, transactions, and general information of his whereabouts they were able to track down that he had literally been everywhere. So now we're going to get into kind of israel's story and while that sounds like i'm sympathizing with the enemy um you know me i just like to get a good background of who they were because i miss the condoms and i just do that um so here look, we're gonna talk about him for a minute and if you hate it you can skip okay after a rough childhood of strict parents who believed that technology and the government were evil and out to get them. And a bunch of moving around, young Israel and his family landed in Utah. In Utah, his family joined a church called The Ark. And if you aren't familiar with that church, I would look it up on your own free time because that one's a doozy. But basically, if you're not white, you're subhuman, and if you're not part of the church, you're subhuman and it's just a lot. Like they just think that people that aren't white and part of that church are less human than them. Yeah. So young Israel was raised in this kind of environment which gave him this great sense of entitlement. Um and by the way, this church is actually on a list as being a cult. So it's it's fitting right in with most church no I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. Don't sue me. But yeah, it's on a cult list. Um Back to baby Israel. He basically ticked all of the boxes for a serial killer as a child. He would go hunting and although although that's normal for that part of the world, he did this in a way that most hunters don't. Um a childhood friend came forward to say that one time they were out hunting and Israel shot a deer, um, but not well enough to kill it. He knew he didn't kill it, and instead of doing the thing that hunters do, like putting it out of its misery, he decided to let it sit there and struggle while he got the deer alive. Yeah, so there were also a bunch of times where he remembers having his friends over, and he would torture animals in front of them, Um, and while he was sitting there laughing, his friends were mortified, like, throwing up, sick, mortified, and he was laughing, and he genuinely thought it was funny, and he just could not understand why his friends were terrified of him. I can hear Georgia messing with something upstairs, I'm just gonna ignore it. He also stalked people at a young age by watching them until they left their homes, and then he would break in and steal their guns to hunt with. He was also just super socially awkward, which is another big thing for serial killers. Um, His parents ended up disowning him in his late teens because he came to them and told them that he wanted to convert to Satanism, which they obviously were not in support of because they believed that any other religion meant you were subhuman. So from here on out, Israel was on his own. Um, And just a bit after this, he joined the army. Great! (laughs) He claimed that he did this because he loved challenging himself and being on the brink of death but surviving. And he was only there from 1998 to 2001 where he got a girl pregnant. They moved in together and it was just around this time that he realized he wanted to start acting out on his fantasies. What were his fantasies, you ask? Oh, definitely moving to California, opening up his own smoothie store, and living on the beach. Yeah, no, he wanted to kill strangers. So after he moved in with his girlfriend and realized that he wanted to be a killer, he got a job working on a peninsula peninsula, and this is what I was talking about earlier, which gave him the ability to learn about bodies of water and rivers and all those great places to hide bodies. During this, he broke up with his daughter's mom, met another girl, and this is when he moved to Anchorage. So finally, after a ton of storytelling and negotiation, he gave authorities the names of two victims. But he said that his name could not be put in the media and he wanted an immediate execution date. Clearly, that's not how things work. So they told him that they could try as hard as they could to keep his name out of the media and they could not promise an immediate execution date. What they did tell him, though, is that if he gave all of the victims' names, all the burial sites, and all the details of the case, that would make it more likely that he'd be sentenced to death because of how brutal and gruesome everything was. Um, they told him to basically make himself look as terrible as possible, and he finally gave them the names of Bill and Lorraine Courier from Essex, Vermont. I meant Virginia, <laughs> um clearly, that's super far away. But, like I said before, he was all over the place all of the time. And in June of 2011, he rented a car and drove to Essex with the sole purpose of killing someone. He planned to do this by planting kill kits all across the U.S. And you've probably heard of this if you're really into true crime. You've probably heard of the guy that planted kill kits. That's this That's this dude. Um, He he put kill kits across the u.s and then that way he would have something to use while he was in that state um so instead of like having a victim type he had a state a kill kit and a plan to kill someone he would literally just go places before he killed people scope them out hide a kill kit and then use it to kill people later like we'll get into it The kill kits were those giant orange Home Depot waterproof buckets, and he would fill them with guns, tape, Drano, knives, gloves, I don't know, things that you use to kill people. I'm not a killer, I don't know. Um, And he would hide these and then use them when he needed to, and no one ever found them before he could get to them. Um, And he claimed there were 11 of them, but some people think that there are still kill kits out there that have never been found. And there's a possibility that there is evidence inside those buckets that he already used um the kill kits that he used in Essex were planted in 2009 but the murder was committed in 2011 so like he planted it in 2009 and didn't use it to, to, until 2011 he was patient um so bill and Lorraine were just like all of his victims in the wrong place at the wrong time he took bill and lorraine to an abandoned farmhouse after walking on foot to the nearest neighborhood to find them he chose them by picking the first house that had the garage door open and appeared to have no children or pets um which that's so scary because my stepdad accidentally leaves the garage door open all the time um he waited for them to go to bed and then got into their garage shattered a glass door and within seconds had bill and lorraine restrained he made them get into their own car, but before he took them there, he made them put on slippers so they wouldn't cut their feet. Uh-huh. You're about to kill them, and you don't want them to cut their feet? Some people think that he did that t- to not have, like, evidence that there was a struggle. But you shattered glass, so they're- there's obviously a struggle. Um, I just, I don't know. I don't get it. At the abandoned farmhouse, he separated the two he put bill downstairs and he put lorraine upstairs where he sexually assaulted her and then he ended up shooting and killing bill and then he strangled lorraine to death which he usually strangles the women i don't know if that's some sort of like power struggle or like a sexual thing for him but he usually like shoots men strangles women um or strangles and stabs women that's definitely a sexual thing that has to be a sexual thing um where was i where was i where was i I? oh after he got After he did that, he got into his car and drove as far as he could, putting a large amount of space between him and the murders. And authorities notified the Essex authorities, and they rushed to the farmhouse years and years later, um, only to find that it had been demolished. So they never found their bodies. And then after that information was found out, Israel's name got released into the media. This happens all the time. And it has cost a bunch of people their due justice. And it sucks. And as much as I think the media is important, it also sucks a lot of times. Um, And for quite a while, he refused to speak about anything involving his victims. Because the one thing that he asked was for his name to be kept secret. But after a few weeks of, like, bribes, more Americanos, more cigars more snickers they finally got him to speak again and he told authorities that his first attempted murder was right before he joined the army and it was in Oregon he said that he had watched a teenage girl float down the river on an inner tube and when she got far enough away from her group of friends he waded into the water and he grabbed her and he took her to some private restrooms and he sexually assaulted her and he had every intention of killing her but he said the reason that he couldn't kill her was because she wouldn't stop talking about herself in her life um he couldn't deal with her humanizing herself and he decided to let her go and he made her promise not to tell anybody and he said that this was the only time he ever let anyone go but this woman has never come forward so he might have actually killed her and just not told the truth but also like why would you lie when you've already killed that many people because he likes control and he's weird. Um, and then he said that after the army, he killed someone in Nia Bay where he lived simply because it was just too boring there for him. Nia Bay is also where he um, got that girl pregnant and now had a daughter with. Um, and then his second and third victims were in Washington where he killed a female and then a male and they were a couple and he buried them together. Uh, And then he killed two more people in 2005 and 2006, and he claimed to have dropped them in the bottom of Crescent Lake, which is the deepest lake in the U.S. And why would he know that? Because he's a serial killer, and he has a job that's convenient for him. Then he killed someone in New York, which likely happened to be around the same time he killed Bill and Lorraine. And this victim was possibly named Debbie Feldman, and he also robbed a bank the same day of this murder and was never caught, which is apparently something he did often as well as dabble in arson this dude's a jack of all trades um they linked debbie to israel because her name was actually on his computer and it all lined up perfectly and this was different from other victims because israel was really tactful and discreet and he never had anything written down anywhere not even like where his kill kits were so the one time he slipped up it linked him to a murder um in fact while he was in new mexico and texas after killing samantha he was actually on a trip to go to his sister's wedding he was he seemed to always have like a trip lined up ahead of time to give him a reason to be wherever he was so that he had alibi as to why he was in a state all the way across the country um he it it, i don't know it's just so mind-blowing how like methodical and planned out he was i guess he probably was planning on killing someone on the trip to the wedding, but since his urges were just getting so hard to control, he ended up killing someone in Anchorage before he could get to one of his kill, plan- kill kits that he had planted for the wedding weekend. Um, and before killing Samantha, he actually drove out to the park where he stalked these two people and had planned to shoot them, but two cops pulled up to talk in the park parking lot and it spooked him off. So, it just really seemed like, towards him getting caught, he started to completely lose all control that he thought he had, and he was slowly unraveling, and he he just really needed to kill someone, you know? Can't relate. So, in 2012, while he was in jail, he drew 11 skulls in his own blood on 11 separate pieces of paper, and authorities believed that these skulls stood for each victim that he had, um... Now, this next part, I'm not sure if Israel knew that the cops had the skull papers or had seen the skull papers or not, because they had a theory that they tested. Just just listen. So, Israel would normally correct people if they got facts about the case wrong. Excuse me. Wow. One second. Okay. Israel would normally correct people if they got facts about the case wrong because he was just weird like that. I don't I don't know, man. Um, like they say, they would say that he shot Samantha instead of strangling her. And he would correct them and tell them what actually happened. So the police found the schools and they started running with the idea that there were 11 victims. And Israel never corrected them. Um, I don't know if he drew those to subtly tell them. Like how many victims he had or if he he didn't mean for anyone to see them like those were just for him and his sick mind um but he never corrected anyone when they claimed that he had 11, 11 victims so they just they just thought that he had 11, 11 victims um now we're going to talk about the amount of victims and loop back to the story that we talked about when Israel's family was part of the Ark Church Uh, The police were obviously trying to link him to a ton of different cases, even after thinking that his victim victim count was only 11 because they still didn't know all of the victims' names. And they ended up asking him if he'd killed any Canadians. And Israel's answer was, Canadians don't count. I just got chills when I said that. Like, I got chills when I said that. I don't even know what to say to that. So with him thinking that Canadians were subhuman, or whatever he thinks, it's rumored that he could have been responsible for some of the deaths deaths along the Highway of Tears. Um, obviously not all of them, because they've been going on for quite a while, like, before he was even 10 years old. Um, but he could have picked up on the fact that Indigenous women and children were being taken and killed and not looked for, and thought it would be an easy start to killing. I don't know we're not a killer we're not a killer i'm not a killer you're not a killer either i hope not please don't be um also we're 12 pages in now how are you how are you all doing are you doing okay take take a drink or snack break if you need to we'll wait right here for you don't worry okay we're gonna listen to georgia shredding a rug upstairs are you guys are you guys good you guys back okay nice so finally on november 30th of 2012 they got him to agree to telling them the location of his kill kits and they did this by giving him control to a drone which would let him feel like he was out in the real world but just two days later after they agreed that they were going to do this israel was found dead in his cell and on december 2nd 2012 he had ended his own life leaving behind a very lengthy note talking about him hating America, loving the murders he committed. And it's just, it's really gross. I don't recommend reading it, honestly. Um, and it's in poem form. Like, things rhyme and syllables. And it's very thought out. Um, but yeah, I don't recommend reading it. Of course, there was no clue as to where the bodies were or where the kill kits were because why would he ever... And to this day, there are presumably, presumably seven unknown victims out there, along with all of his co-kits. But there's probably more than seven, if we're being real. Um, so yeah, that's his real keys. Sorry to end on such a bummer. <laughs> um, how do we end this episode? I, I never know. Um, have a good Father's Day. It's Sunday when I'm releasing this, so have a good Father's Day. And if you don't have a dad, I'm your dad now. Tell me Happy Father's Day. Um, yeah, I'm, I don't know. I'm really proud of this episode. It took me like 15 hours of research, and I'm not even joking at all. Um, all of my lunch breaks this week were consumed by typing this, as well as getting off of work in 106 degree weather, and being dead tired, and going home, and stripping down to... Barely any clothes and sitting in my desk and typing out all of this. Um, yeah. But I do it all again for you. Over and over. Because you guys rock. Um, I-, I don't have anything else for you guys. Lock your doors and don't talk to creepy men. Okay. Goodbye.